new intro. Look at that video. That is looking sharp. Shout out to the team for making that and putting it together. And that way you get to see a cool video instead of just my ugly mug right when we start the podcast there. But welcome in newest edition of Caught Stealing, the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway over on X. And with me here, the, I should say, the salesman over on X. But first, I'm going to say the Super Bowl winning the salesman over on X. So, Matt, congratulations on your Super Bowl victory. I hope you enjoyed the game. I enjoyed that the under cashed last night. So, I guess we both it, won it, in it, different ways. It did. But it was funny because I, I thought that they had changed the rule that you have to, even if it doesn't matter for the game, that you have to kick the extra point after the game-winning touchdown just to keep, like, everything, you know, kosher with the spread and whatever. And so when the Chiefs got the ball back, I was looking at my friend. I was like, they score a touchdown. It goes to 25-22, which is 47 points. But by rule, I'm pretty sure they have to kick the extra point, which would then make it 26-22, which would have meant 48 hits. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was it was good. But I guess in overtime, it doesn't really. I think in regular play, you have to do it. But in overtime, it doesn't. So, um, yeah, it was clearly on me switching shirts at halftime. The first shirt that mm-hmm. I put on didn't wasn't good mojo apparently so i switched shirts you're welcome chiefs nation uh clearly my baseball superstition is bleeding into uh <laughs> my nfl fandom but uh i'm good you know what happens now though now that the super bowl is over we get like pitchers and catchers that's exactly what i was gonna say the the conclusion of the big game only means one thing and that it's pitchers and catchers reporting the majority of teams have their guys reporting on valentine's day which is yep my birthday and Wednesday of this week. Yep. Two days from the time that you're listening to this here. So that is right around the corner. And that also means Matt, we're going to be in the beautiful time of best shape of their lives. Guys come in looking good. The guys that maybe, you know, there's some body transformations. We're going to have to decipher all of those tweets. So maybe what we'll do moving forward is if we can, maybe you and I can work to compile like a list of every time it happens or at least close to it. And then just rapid fire. So it'll be like I mean, it's already uh, it's already been happening. Cause well, like, I true. mean Vladito can legitimately say it because that man got svelte. Like, nice job. But all of these uh pitch lab dudes, the guys who go to driveline, I saw I saw a tweet that Dylan Tate is pumping a hundred now because he's a driveline. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what we need to do. We should like screenshot like posts on X, put them in like a PowerPoint, just go through real quick rapid fire. Does this matter? Yay or nay? Vladito, best shape of his life, yay or nay. Bieber's increased velocity at driveline, yay or nay. Just go through it real rapid fire, no analysis, just going through it. But <laughs> pitchers and catchers is right around the corner. Very excited for that to start actually talking about actual tangible baseball. You know what I mean? It's one of those things of we can do all this hypothetical. Let's actually see um Yamamoto on the mound let's actually see Imanaga on the mound in spring train see how things look from there but Matt every offseason it seems like as the offseason goes on we're waiting for the big dominoes to fall and it always seems that Scott Boris is involved mm-hmm. when you look at some of the big names left guess who they all happen to be clients of guess who's very well known for trying to get every last penny available per contract so let me ask you here first with some of these big name guys like the likes of bellinger blake snell etc who blinks first 
Is it going to be the player basically saying, hey, enough of this. Let's just get something done. Let's get to get the spring training. Or are they going to hold out and it's going to be closer? What do you think ends up happening, especially with some of these Boris clients? I think it depends on who it is. Like, I think a team will blink first with Bellinger. Because I think what he's holding out for is more explainable. Right, and by the team by the team blinking, you mean like pay up? They'll pony up. Yeah, that they will pay up Um, because you've got a guy who just posted a remarkably good season, who is a former MVP caliber guy. He's a Gold Glove outfielder uh, and a middle of the bat, you know, middle of the order bat. So I think for him, I think they'll pay up. I think what the reports are about Blake Snell wanting like $270 million. No, not, not going to happen, son. Like I know you won the Cy Young, but it wasn't a runaway. You also gave up the most walks per nine of any Cy Young winner ever in the history of baseball. And at the start of the season, didn't look like you were going to win the Cy Young. You had a 72 inning stretch that was remarkable. But you basically won the Cy Young on a third of a season, right? There's still questions about can Blake Snell legitimately go seven innings and be an ace of a staff routinely? Don't think so. He walks too many guys. Um, There's still a matter of he gives up too much contact and walks dudes to, you know, talk about the Yankees being involved. I know that that man should not be in Yankee Stadium as a starting pitcher for the Yankees. so I think it depends. I think bats are easier easier to explain the bigger price tag because they play every day and they have a tangible effect on the game theoretically 162 times a season. So, and, and pitchers in Boris have a bad history. Like a lot of his dudes go for a lot of money and don't usually let that pay out. I mean, the Nats are still paying for Strasburg's contract for the next three years and that's not going to work out. Pretty sure Corbin is a client of his. That's not working out. So I, I don't know that Snell's getting what he wants. When it comes to someone like Blake Snell, let's just focus on him. And it's not even necessarily the player, but I'll say more of the situation. Right now, for ADP data, dating back to January 1st, Snell's the 25th pitcher off the board per NFBC data. Now, of course, you probably have, I'm doing a rough count, probably five or six starters going or relievers going before him. So Snell's being drafted as a top 20 arm right now. At what point, if he remains unsigned, do you start having questions about him in the beginning of the season? Like with 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 position players, they can come in, they get their swings. Sure, maybe a little rusty, a little slow out the gate, but they're okay. But someone like a pitcher, like they need those spring training outings to ramp up so that their first couple starts of the year, maybe they're still only at 75 or so pitches, but that's where they're at and they can develop from there. Like, are we going to see the de facto, like, Blake Snell's first two or three regular season starts when they're not great performances are going to quickly be chalked up to, well, these are his spring training outings right here, but they're regular season games. At what point do you start, do those concerns start creeping in for you if they haven't already? Uh, I'm to be honest, I've never really been on the Snellzilla, you know, bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Haven't been a guy. I think when Cash took him out of that World Series game, it completely ruined his confidence that he just can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been a Snell guy. You know, the strikeouts are great. Congrats. But 
it puts so much pressure on the offense to score early to go get you wins in fantasy that it's not you know worth it not to mention a free agent pitcher parks matter to pitchers man what happens if he signs what happens if he signs in, in cincinnati he is not a ground ball pitcher yeah and he signs in the smallest most hitter friendly park right what if colorado goes out and makes a king offer like they did to chris bryant and now you're stuck with snell and cores against loaded offenses of the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks and the Padres, right? Like, I think it matters. What if he's signed by Baltimore? Okay, great park, but still got to face pretty good offenses. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not on him. I will let others take their shot. If it works out for him, great. But you are using an SP2 slot on a guy who's not signed, has no – smoke around him no talking and if he doesn't sign until like march i got one better what happens if he signs with the team that opens in the korea series yeah that's a week before opening day for the rest of everybody else Mm -hmm. so So let's do it's to me it's pointless to waste adp capital like draft pick capital on a guy who's not signed needs a build up and then you can't trust but for like half a season. Let's just for fun then. Rapid fire, yes, no. These are the pitchers going after Blake Snell. Would you take the player that I'll about to name over Blake Snell? Kodai Senga. Yes. Grayson Rodriguez. Yes. Logan Gilbert. Yes. Bobby Miller. Yes. Yuri. Yeah, probably. Jesus Lazardo. I think that's about the line. So that's may, 21. That's exactly. 21 picks. Oh, exactly. right after Lazardo, Zach Eflin, and Kyle Bradish and Joe Ryan. Um, I would take Snell before those guys. So, so you basically Lizardo, you dropped him down 21 spots. You've dropped him a round and a half, a round and a quarter to a half in 15 team leagues. In 10 team leagues, you drop Snell two rounds. Yeah. Hey. I'm just, that's just that's the ex, that's what you have to do. That's the exercise when you're determining these players. Like, you know, even when people say, "Oh, I'm completely not drafting him," there's a point where you'll draft the player. I was curious where your point out point was with Blake Snell, and it's 21 I mean, picks after ADP. Of, yes, which I means mean, basically you're not getting him. That's what it means. Fair. I'm going to. I'm. Um, I would not intentionally reach for Bradish over. Snell. I would look at what hitters are available and yes. whatnot, right? Mm. If Snell falls to me and there's no other intriguing hitter left or at a spot that I don't need, I'll take a shot. But I am not going SP2 on Blake Snell, an unsigned guy who, for most of his time in San Diego, didn't look all that spectacular. Yep. And you say that and... You basically put him in that SP3 range, so you're right on the money. You're not going to use him as an SP2 because you have him as an SP3. You take some other guys ahead of him. So, hey, would you, you're Where was your stopping line? Are you going to take him where he's going? Um, it's no, 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 no. I'm not taking him where he's going. All the guys after him, I would probably take. For me, he's he, honestly he's in that same range where you had him. I'm a little more confident in taking Yuri and Jesus over Blake Snell than you were. You wavered a little bit. Only you, were, because you had to think the, about it. I'm I'm locked in on those two over him. Well, okay. So the upside, if they hit full potential, then yes, easily. Not even a question. We told a, one of the uh, 
FA, you know, subscribers in Discord to go for, you know, trade Trey Turner for Yuri Perez in a, you know, forever keeper league. My only hesitation with Yuri and Lazardo is the, the innings. Mm-hmm. Right, which you also have, okay, if Snell stays healthy and he only misses, you know, a couple of starts at the beginning to warm up, you're still getting more innings. So that was my only hesitation there. Yeah, and I mean, the other way you could look at it too, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but you could look at 2021 and 2022, Snell at 128-ish innings, and last year bumped all the way up to 180. So a big jump in workload if you have concerns about that the year after, you know. Right. First I mean, that's that's the other thing. That's the other way to look at it. Of course, you and I could go back and forth. Well, if you consider that, I mean, we could do this all day, but I get what you're saying. Yes. So I'm just it goes both ways. But interesting. Uh, Snell is going to be interesting this year that I will I will leave it at that. But Matt, last week we talked about when we're getting back to the fantasy baseball mindset, another segment for that this week here. We talked about multi-positional eligibility. We said we talk about it this week and how. Honestly, it can be a slippery slope because is it very nice when setting lineups, especially in daily leagues, even in weekly leagues? Absolutely. Do we sometimes have an unconscious bias of valuing those players a little bit more and that position eligibility a little bit more? I would say so. Are there times where you get in spots where it's, well, I can put him in multiple places. I'll just take him over this guy. I think that happens. So Let's dive into this, how we can properly and effectively use it while not potentially being swayed by taking a worse player who you can put at two different spots over a better player. So, Matt, any other benefits from the multi-positional eligibility other than the fact of the lineup versatility that it gives you? So I would say that it holds more sway when determining keepers. Mm -hmm. I will give a bump to a guy if he's like – you know, I have Spencer Steer as a potential keeper in my home league, right? In my league, he fits first, third corner outfield, okay? In some other leagues, he you'll add a middle infield in there depending on your position eligibility rules. So if he's, let's say, I don't know, a dollar or two more expensive to keep than a guy who only fits one position but is about – but will put up about the same stat line, I'll lean the multi-positional guy because that gives me draft flexibility, right? Let's say that I plug him in at first base, but then there's a steal at first base later in the draft that I didn't see coming. I can move steer to the, let's say outfield in this case, because pretty sure my third base spot's going to be taken, right? So it gives you game planning advantage in the draft. When you get to the actual drafts, I am not going to reach for a multi-positional guy. I will not bump them up value-wise mid-draft, mm-hmm. okay? Because then what you're paying for is the same stats you can just slot into different spots. But you're not getting extra stats, right? So... Mm-hmm. If a multi-positional guy is way above, and I'm not like dinging Mookie bets here, right? Obviously, Mookie is an elite guy. He qualifies at short and second and outfield and middle in most leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's helpful. But a perfect example, are you going to take Mookie bets over Ronald Acuna because Acuna only fits outfield 
and Betts fits four spots and they're both first round picks? Yeah, not in that scenario. No. Are you going to take Mookie over Freddie Freeman? I mean, of, of course, in this example, just because second base is a little iffy, and he and Mookie at second is heads in value, heads and heads well, and shoulders right. above others. So honestly, in that one, yeah. What about Mookie over Bryce, who now qualifies at first base? Yes, I'm taking Mookie over Bryce. Okay. Mount Mookie over Soto or Judge? Both. Okay. So you have Mookie as basically like your number two dude off the board? Uh, he's top four. He's top four or five. Okay. But you're not the taking only... him over Acuna. Simply I'm not taking him over Acuna. I'm not taking him over Witt. Those are the two that I'm locked. Okay. So I guess that's the example. I'm still Witt's taking Bobby Witt I... over Mookie Betts. Yeah. Right. But Bobby Witt only qualifies at short. He's still yep. going to outproduce him. So the four positions Mookie qualifies for doesn't help you as much as the stats that the one position Bobby yep. Witt. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it comes down to. Like the, the flexibility is nice. And especially when you get on a site, like if you're doing like in the, in the draft guide that we have over at fantasyalarm.com, which you should get your, you should get your mitts on for the seasons here. Like if you're doing best ball, the multi-positional, the multi-positional eligibility doesn't help on underdog best ball. So like in that right. case, you're, you're just taking the best player. Yes. So you're just right. taking the the player there. But like when you get to other leagues and I think you hit the nail on the head, the multi-positional eligibility shows its benefits as early as the draft. But the one thing as managers that you have to be careful of is just because you take a guy with you take a guy with multi-positional eligibility and, you know, let's say, for example, just because this has come up, this is going to come up. Someone like Matt McClain, he's got second and shortstop eligibility, right? I don't think I'm going off the grid here by saying that shortstop is deeper than the second base position. Correct. I, you know, so like second as much as I'm in the, the draft spots in, yes. it's right there with first and catcher. So do I like Matt McClain at his ADP being my second baseman? Sure. But if we're earlier on in the draft and, you know, maybe a, uh, let's say like a Marcus Semyon like happens to fall and I end up taking Semyon, then I come back with Matt McClain. I'm not pigeonholing myself into putting Matt McClain at second base. So like you can have these ideas of where a player has eligibility at two positions where they are a better value. But even if later on, like I love Tyro Estrada. I love the, I love the kid. And like, if I draft him at second base, I mean, he's got second base and shortstop eligibility too. So that's maybe not be the best example, but like, I'm not going to miss out on someone like that who I truly like just because I already have McLean at second and take a worse shortstop later on. Like, use the positional eligibility to your benefit. Yes, players will have spots where they seem to be a better value. By the end of the day, whether whether you put Matt McLean at second base or whether you put him at shortstop, if he goes three for four with three home runs that day, it's the same production. It Wait, is you're not is. getting you're not. It's not like we have t like second base. There's no premium. there's no position multipliers. Like, yeah, there's no second base that. premium in fantasy baseball, right? Like we have a tight <laughs> yeah. end, right? Um, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I also tend to believe that you can use middle and corner as kind of catch-alls to, well, these guys yes. are lower tier. They wouldn't be starters, but I like them, so I'm going to fit them, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I agree. I'm not going to, again, reach for a guy because – Oh, I have this spot open and I really like him and I want to plop that guy in because then it doesn't 
all you've done then is just eaten value because you reached for a guy that still fits other play. Like, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It, it, so yeah. I would say that going into a draft is when they have huge value. Mm-hmm. And then obviously during the season, they come in handy because you can, if you have a guy get injured, you can slot others in there. But this is all about when you draft, don't specifically reach for multi-positional guys because they are multi-positional. Like we were saying with Mookie Betts. If you genuinely believe that Betts' total stat line helps you more than a guy like Bryce Harper or Soto or Freeman or Judge, fine. But don't reach for him over Witt or Acuna because, ooh, I can play Mookie all over the place. Yeah, guess what? He still has to be in the lineup to be able to play. It doesn't mm-hmm. – right? That – that doesn't necessarily help you if they're not in the lineup. So, yeah, the one the one situation I'll kind of add to that here when it comes to the multi positional eligibility, keeping up to date with the happenings and the reports coming out of spring training because there could be players who shortly into the season gain eligibility. That could be very important. Like we've seen it in past years. I mean, he had it going into the season, but like Dalton Varsho, Dalton Varsho, the fantasy catcher, big thumbs up. Dalton Varsho, a fantasy outfielder. Eh, you know, yeah, he's only kinda. his value came. So yeah, this is a great. So this is a great point. Varsho's value came from the fact that you could qualify him a catcher and thus made him what number two behind Real Muto. Yes, he was basically drafted a second catcher because or of top that. three, along with you know before Adley Rutschman, you had Will Smith in there, right? So, mm-hmm. but if you put him in outfield and then you go and put a catcher stat line in an outfield all of a sudden he's like your outfield four on your team which means he's like you know very deep in the draft he's no longer a top four round pick because he's lost catcher eligibility so now you're going to see Varsho's value plummet even though the stat line was the same all because he doesn't qualify at the shallowest position in baseball Right, he was also yeah, why he, Mookie's value has shot up because he qualifies at second. Bryce Harper's value has shot up. I mean, Bryce is still good, but if he was only outfield, you probably take him in the second round. Mm-hmm. Now that he's first, he's a first round pick, he's adding in an entire round because he qualifies at a shallow spot. And Varsha last year routinely, like we said, second catcher off the board. And when you look at it, 220 average, 20 homers, and 16 stolen bases last year as an outfielder. It's like, ah, oh, and a 285 OBP. That I mean, the homers and steals were nice, but that average stunk. Now, if I tell you that a catcher did that, you'd be jumping through the moon. Right, be because so you excited. already know that you expect bad averages from catchers because they don't usually put them up, right? Yep. In the Roto League, a bad average from a catcher, you know that going into a draft, you're going to have to eat that. So, yes, twenty yep. a nearly 2020 season from a catcher. That's why he's the second. He was the second catcher off the board. And like this year, despite the Pirates signing Yasmani Grandal here recently, I it might be a little bit longer till Henry Davis gets the catcher eligibility. But his fantasy outlook with his profile as a catcher makes him a steal in drafts. However, it might be now instead of four weeks, it might be six to eight weeks before he gets that. Because I I think early on to try to ease the burden on him, I do think they'll do close to a split just to kind of ease davis into the season but he'll get to the most leagues are like 20 games in season 
he'll yep. get to that point and he'll get that. So like, that'll be a nice value for him, but I still like his price in drafts. He's still a sleeper in the fantasy baseball draft guy, a player you should look at in the later rounds. So go take a look at that. But then on the other hand, not all multi-positional eligibility is a massive benefit. Like Chris Bryant made a handful of appearances at first base last year. He's getting first base this year, but he doesn't have the power that he did, but like he hasn't shown the power again. And like from the he's corner infielder, we want the power. Like, does Chris Bryant getting first base matter? Other than when you set your lineups and he's a good, he's a value in drafts because he's going later. But, like, I mean, does him getting first base help? I mean, maybe a little. I would say third is probably deeper. So him retaining third base or outfield, you know, you're more likely, I guess, to reach for a guy with, Bryant's upside if he's healthy and everything clicks and he hits home runs and cores, which he can't seem to do, which is amazing. Um, I guess there's a little more value at first, only because of the scarcity of good fantasy first baseman, but not real. I mean, we're talking like around after the 15th round of the draft. So you're taking flyers at that point. It's not like he's going yeah. from the eighth to the seventh and as a core piece of your build, right? Um, so that, that I will say one note about anticipated position eligibility. Mm-hmm. It's great to go into a draft with, oh, well, at some point this season, I can move this guy from this spot to this spot. Okay. But does that actually help you in the draft? Mm-hmm. Because that guy still has to take up that spot. So you either are drafting a dude who's going to sit on the bench because you can't play him in that spot until maybe a month into the season. Right. Or what if the guy gets hurt and doesn't accrue enough spots that your whole plan doesn't, doesn't help. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just one of those things where yes, you can try to anticipate it, but if it doesn't happen, you're still, you know, stuck in the mud with a guy that you drafted who you may not be able to use. And keep in mind, if you draft Henry Davis to be your catcher until he gets catcher eligibility, you have to have another catcher. Someone else right. has to fill that spot. You can't just put a zero there for weeks. Right. So then that. you're eating outfield, you know, production in the hopes that, Hey, when this guy goes to catcher, his value goes through the roof. Yeah. But you're going to eat a month of the season at least. Yep. Yep. Maybe two. It's interesting. <laughs> It's a very interesting concept to kind of go around and you got to play it. You got to play it safe sometimes and look at it, or you got to hope that the Pirates, basically Grandal is the second catcher and they let Davis catch five games a week so that we get it within the first month. That's yeah. what you ultimately have to Basically. hope for. But um, yeah, so if you, like I said, if you haven't got your hands on the Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, make sure you check that out. You can go to fantasyalarm.com slash pricing slash draft guide 2469 for the draft guide, or you can just get the cheat sheets. Or you can become an all-pro member. You get access to the Discord as well as all the good stuff that we have at Fantasy Alarm. So make sure you check it out. But Matt, last week we did the NL East. Posted on Twitter, got some engagements. I believe that uh, my team had a higher vote uh, in terms of who teams liked it more. So let's let's say that vote is that. So I won the NL East. We'll obviously track it throughout the year, but at least at first glance, I won that. I so mean, we are going to move to the NL South. Based on the, based on the public, yes. But based on actual stats, we'll have to <laughs> play this For sure. Out. For sure. For yeah, sure. yeah. Absolutely. But this week, NL Central, and just a quick reminder so that you can play along as well. Make sure you let Matt and I know on X at the Salesman and at Colby R. Conway your 
picks for the NL Central. But once again, catcher, infielder, outfielder, starter, reliever, all from the NL Central, no more than one player per team. So you can't have Juan Soto and George Springer because they're the same position. Can't have Juan Soto and Glaber Torres because they are both Yankees. Only one player from there. So like in this one, you can't have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado because one, they're both Cardinals. Two, both they're both infielders. And three, their ADP is inside the top 175. And the players' ADPs that we select dating back to January 1st must be outside the top 175 players overall, except for catcher, because otherwise we would be pretty much stuck to the builds that we could do. So catcher is fair game. Positional eligibility is indicated by NFBC to begin the season, and we'll do standard ESPN scoring, which does include holds, which you'll see quite often with the relievers that we pop up. So NL Central, Matt, I will let you go first with the catcher. So this was a fun, this was a fun division. Um, you got a bunch of mediocre teams, which tends to mean there's a lot of mediocre draft picks for fantasy out there. Um, so there were a few teams. There was a bunch of ways we could go with this. I actually wound up making four different ones. I'm going to go with one that we know isn't going to cause, um, you know, overlap here for the fun, you know, so that we can get a clearer vote. So for catcher, I stuck with the rule. I'm going Tyler Stevenson from the Reds. He's going off at 227 in drafts since mm -hmm. January 1st. Uh, guy has a pretty decent average for a catcher. He's in a very nice ballpark with a good lineup around him. He, you know, produces a, a decent amount of pop. What I like to see more than I think it was like 13 homers from him last year. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's going to put up some home runs. He's going to drive in some runs, put up a pretty decent average for me at catcher. So I'm going Stevenson. William Contreras would be the obvious pick here. Uh, but I went with Wilson Contreras. Uh, good year last year. Season was cut short due to a wrist injury. And actually, over his final 201 plate appearances last year prior to the injury, he's actually slashing 339, 440, 619, 36 RBIs across those as well. So he was doing very, very well. I wouldn't be surprised this year. It should be another 20-plus home run season for the fourth straight time. Should hit around 250-ish. And I do believe that the Cardinals' offense bounces back, and he should challenge his career high in RBI this year as well. So I went with Wilson Contreras behind the dish. Uh, I'll go ahead. We'll, we'll serpentine this or snake draft, you however you want to do this. Uh, infield for me, uh, we talked about it off air. I was holding out that y'all drafting in the M NFBC would push Cabrian Hayes down a little bit. He uh, missed um, by one, by 0.9 spots. He's going off yep. at 174.15. Yeah. yeah, I know, January Matt. 3rd. I'm aware. I've, I've been stalking it for the past week since we did the NL East because I was praying that he would come below 175 just yeah, so I could take him. But I all weekend hoping – <laughs> yep. Yep. I've been grinding, trying to get that ADP down, but no, I'm just kidding. I haven't. But uh, once I couldn't get Cabrian Hayes, it was really easy for me. I'm going Reese Hoskins, newcomer to the Milwaukee lineup, big time power, good home park, good lineup around him. And honestly, even if it's just another status quo year for Hoskins, 240, the 250-ish batting average, flirt with 30 home runs in a really good ballpark as a, in a good lineup as well. Also, get back to hitting the fly ball a little bit more compared to the last time we saw him. That'd be great. And if that's the case, Hoskins is an absolute steal. His ADP is actually up to 200, and I wouldn't be surprised if that keeps moving up just with the news of him going to Milwaukee. So Reese I Hoskins mean, is my answer. When, when I right. looked at it this morning, he's at 195 yep. now as of this morning. So he's he's moving on up. Um, I had a couple of builds with Reese Hoskins 
again, switched it up so that we didn't have any overlap because it's way more fun to vote on different teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to knock out the Cardinals here, and I'm going to go Nolan Gorman uh, at 189 in the ADP. Guy's got all sorts of pop, right? That's what we all know him from from coming up. He's going to fit at second base. He can play a little bit of everywhere if they need him to. Um, want to see the average come up a little bit from where it was. He did actually steal a decent amount of bags last year, which in a points format definitely helped because you get a decent amount of points for steals. Hitting fifth or sixth in that Cardinals lineup should be prime for a bunch of run production. So I'm going to go with Nolan Gorman for infield. And then since we're serpentining, uh, here comes my pirate here, Colby. Mm. Uh, Jack Sawinski in outfield. Mm-hmm. He's going off at 238. Guy had a really underrated season. I know that he had a, you know, second half wasn't great for him there towards the end. Um, he also didn't hit lefties all that well, but luckily for him, there's not that many lefties in that division. Um, put up, you know, pretty good combo of power and speed for me. Obviously, Pirates lineup, not the best in the division. We'll, we'll, put, it, <laughs> we'll put it that way. So run production little less than others but i'll go with the power speed nice nice batting average uh take jack sawinski really interesting about sawinski horrible strikeout rate last year but when you look at baseball savant 96 percentile chase rate he understands the zone could you imagine sawinski cuts back the strikeouts a little bit yeah he has no willpower with the 94th percentile barrel rate from last year and 75th percentile X slug. Anyway, I like Sawinski, and I'm I'm going to be a sucker for Nolan Gorman as well this year, especially if the offseason, if he can cut down on some of those dreaded back issues that popped up yeah. last season. Uh, Gorman was a very – basically my infield was going to be Nolan Gorman, Reese Hoskins, or Brian Hayes. That's where it was going to be, but obviously Hayes was removed from that, so I didn't get to use him. Um, speaking of streaky outfielders, since you mentioned one, I'm going to go to the Cubs with Christopher Morell. He's going to have the outfield eligibility. He's going to play all over the darn field for the yep. Cubs at various points throughout this year. He'll probably DH some too. Here's the thing with Christopher Morell, and I know those that were in our Discord last year know that I was very anti-Christopher Morell. I said, you got to be careful. He's as streaky as they come, but in 107 yeah. games last season, 26 home runs, 17 doubles, only six stolen bases. Definitely thought the speed would come along more, but I mean, it's hard to complain about that when the power has been exceptional for him. But here's the thing. Quantity of contact is not very good. There is a lot of issues there. Quality of contact, when he does very make contact, good. very good. Really, really like that. But here's the thing. I... I I wrote about this, I believe, in the player capsules, which should be coming out on the site here soon. But when the going is good for Morrell, it is very, very good. Like we saw back in 19 May games last year, nine home runs, 296 average. However, when the going is rough, it's really rough. Like that 149 average and 37% strikeout rate in the month of August. They're going to play him because a lot of times he's just so streaky that they're going to ride him out and hope for the best. I'm just hoping any little improvement in the contact rate just to if we can avoid these streaks that are like way up here, but then way down here and maybe just go to like here and here, maybe I would take that. I would take that with Morel. Let's I will lower the ceiling a little bit to raise the floor and I will be okay with it. But at his price point, it's it's worth the risk. 
Um, I've come around a little bit on him this year. Uh, starting pitcher, you'll if you have your hands on the draft guide, you'll know this. Uh, I'm all in on Frankie Montas. We talked about Blake Snell potentially not being good. He hasn't signed with the Reds, but if he were to, his pitcher profile does not align with that park well. Montas's does. As long as that right shoulder is healthy, ground ball guy, that'll help him in great American ballpark, good defense behind him. And a lot, honestly, when you look at a lot of his numbers, I think there's more to be had in the strikeout department with Frankie Montas. I think there's a little bit more. His career, his career 24.2% strikeout rate is solid. I think there's a little more meat on the bone. I think he can push that up a little bit this year in the Reds, even if it's a bad park. Strike some guys out, keep the ball on the ground. He'll be just fine. And he's going so late in drafts. He's basically free, so he's worth the shot. So that's why I'm going to go with Montas as my starter. What say you? Yeah, so I landed on Montas in a few different builds. I also mm -hmm. landed on Morel a couple of times. The Cubs and Reds seem to be good for like any category in this thing. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of figuring out who you liked from other ones. So um, on that note, I'm going to go with a Japanese import here for my starting pitcher. I'm going to go oh. with uh, Shoto Imanaga. He's going off at 207 right now in NFBC ADP since Jan 1. He should be the Cubs number two starter, which is fine with me. Um, yes, there's an adjustment there um i think it'll be easier for a lefty because there's not a lot of lefty strikeout guys in in baseball that's what imanaga brings he's also on the older side so it's not like you've got a maturity there with him when he comes over that you know you may not see elsewhere so um i like imanaga i think he's going to be a candidate for a decent amount of wins the strikeouts are nice i think the ratios will be solid i'm perfectly fine getting him at 207 where he's coming off the board and to finish it off, uh, reliever is odd. Usually we're relying on holds in this scoring because closers, unless they're so dicey you don't want to take them, are not <laughs> going outside the top 175. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going with Joel Piamps from the Brewers because that was my only team left to go with. Uh, he was the setup guy to airbender Devin Williams last year. Had a really nice, had a had a pretty solid year, to be honest. The ERA, the WHIP was nice. Strikeout rates were good. Um, he got 27 holds. He got a couple of saves. So I'm looking in mostly to get the holds there. But if they do happen to move on from Devin Williams, then that guy's probably the first guy up for saves. He's going at 612 in ADP. So <laughs> he, in some leagues, he's not even being drafted. Let's just mm -hmm. put it that way. Hey, if it's free, it's for me. And I'll tell you one thing with Piams too. Last year, career best strikeout rate. Switched the pitch mix a little bit, delved into the slider usage more, and it was effective. Very good whiff rate on that pitch. I do like him a lot, but I liked Reese Hoskins more. So that took the Brewers off the board for me. And of course, yes, I have not picked the Pirate yet. Yep. Definitely thought I would have tried to sneak in a team of all five Pirates here, but you might have been a little too, <laughs> a little too smart to, for me to sneak that one by. But I'm going to go with the Roldis Chapman. Again, we're using ESPN standard scoring, holds count. So we're going to get points there. Chapman gets strikeouts. Pirates should be a, at least a half decent team this year, I would think. There's enough there to, to win some games. a lot of close games. Yeah. yeah, they will play a lot of close games. And like David Bednar is going to be the closer. I'm not arguing that at all or refuting that. But it's one of those things. Do they give Chapman a couple of save chance, more save chances to try to maybe deal him at the deadline because he is on a one-year deal, goes to a better contending team? Ooh, that's another thing we should consider. If we have guys get traded, nah, their stats still count. I have executive decision. They're basically, when we did this, that's when they're locked in. Yeah. But, I mean, here's the thing. 
He should get innings, strikeouts, holds, a couple of saves here from there. I think Chapman's a fine target. He's going outside of the top 400, and I needed a Pittsburgh reliever, and I couldn't get David Bednar, so I'll take the next best one. There you go. I had Chapman in a few in a few builds myself. He's arguably better as a setup guy in terms of ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do happen to move Bednar, then you're getting saves from Chapman, probably. Maybe. I don't know. I would if Bednar goes, Chapman's going too. Well, you would assume, but they've I would assume. Uh, hey, you never know what know? the front office of the Pirates are gonna do, to be honest. Honestly, for, for better or for worse, you are hundred percent correct. You never know. You never know exactly what's going to happen. But that's the breakdown there for the NL Central. Matt went with Tyler Stevenson, Nolan Gorman, Jack Sawinski, Shoto Imanaga, Joel Piamps. I went Wilson Contreras, Reese Hoskins, Christopher Morell, Frankie Montas, and Aroldis Chapman, the Pittsburgh great. Make sure you head over to FantasyAlarm.com. Get your hands on the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. You can get that for under $25 there. You can also just get the cheat sheet if that's all you want, uh, made by Howard Bender and company. Or join annual, get in the Discord, ask us your questions, help you out with the drafts, keepers, sleepers, busts, anything like that. We will be there to help. Make sure you give Matt a follow over on X at The Salesman. I am at Colby R. Conway, and we will see you next week with the newest edition of Caught Stealing, the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.